Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, and I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. Dear 20-something started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful woman they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts we process internally, Dear 20-something is a space where listeners can hear insights, ask questions, and ultimately get advice from the woman they most admire. Today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Jamie Schmidt. Jamie is an entrepreneur and the founder of Schmidt's Naturals, a brand of natural personal care products that she started in her kitchen in Portland, Oregon in 2010. Jamie is known for modernizing natural personal care products, including the customer favorite deodorant and bringing them to the mainstream market. Under her leadership, Schmidt's grew into a household name lining the shelves of retailers, including Target, Costco, Whole Foods, Walmart, and CVS across 30 countries. In 2017, Schmitz partnered with CPG giant Unilever, with Jamie continuing as the brand's founder. Jamie is the co-founder of Color, an investment portfolio that specializes in the consumer product industry, retail and e-commerce, brand positioning, and M&A. She is also the author of Supermaker, Crafting Business on Your Own Terms, a personalized guide on how to put your business on the map, turning your passion into profit. She is regularly profiled in prominent press, including Inc., Entrepreneur, Forbes, and Fast Company. Jamie is an inaugural member of the Inc. Founders Project and has also been recognized as 100 Most Intriguing Entrepreneurs, PNW Entrepreneur of the Year, Woman of Influence, and Executive of the Year. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Jamie Schmidt. Hi, Erica. Thanks for that beautiful intro and, um, and overview of my bio. I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to chat with you today and and hear a little bit more about your 20s. So we're going to start the show with a fun question. We like to start on with a light one. What is something new you learned this week? Um, it can be a new business you're excited about or an interesting fact you learned from a book, or maybe it was a conversation you had with a friend. But what is something new you learned? Oh, that is good. Um well, <laughs> I learned how to how to use TikTok. Um, it's something very new for me. I'm kind of getting in a little late here, um, but really having fun with it. You know, I've, I've dabbled in it slightly over the last couple of months, but today I, um, I guess I can say with confidence that I, um, I sort of I nailed it. I think I nailed it for the first time, and I've like breezed through the process where before it would take me like five hours to create like a five second clip. I'm a big TikTok fan myself, I will say. It's definitely very exciting. Maybe maybe too exciting. I should spend less time on TikTok for sure. What did you what did you put together today that was successful? Yeah, today it was that that trend um don't be surprised if one day I just and then it has the music. Um so I just did like a little overview of um you know quitting my corporate job, uh, making deodorant, selling it at farmers markets and then getting into stores like Costco and Walmart and then selling it to Unilever. That's so awesome. So people get to learn your story through a fun way. Have you found that a lot of new and young people have been following you on social media with TikTok? Yeah. Have you seen yeah, it like really grow your brand? Yeah. I mean, it's, the follower count on there is still really low, but I think in general, like I definitely speak to that audience. You know, I really am passionate about inspiring, you know, early stage entrepreneurs to just to go for it. You know, I, I'm just the perfect example of somebody who really started from nothing and um, really with no knowledge of, you know, how to, how to grow a business and um, very, you know, little resources as well. And so that's, you know, that's my ultimate goal really with everything that I share now is just to encourage people to, to take the leap and to give people the confidence and, 
know that, you know, anybody's really suited to be an entrepreneur. You know, I think it's nuts that, you know, there, historically there's been sort of this persona that we always assume as like what is, you know, a successful entrepreneur looks like or what their background is, but it's not true. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think TikTok has actually been such a great place for that. I've found that, you know, I think the stereotype is that it's it's where you get fun, fluffy videos, but actually there's a lot of great business content and finance tips and hearing your story and things like that, that can really help people get into action and um, figure out their career path. So that's so cool that you're you're entering that space and sounds like it's going well. So congratulations. Yeah, well, it's definitely fun. If nothing else, I'm enjoying it and I'm waiting for that, that one big one to go viral. We'll see. Oh yeah. It's going to be exciting. It's going to happen. I feel like it'll happen in the next few weeks or so. You just got to be patient. Keep putting it out. Awesome. Well, that's a great fun thing you learned this week. So let's get started. We like to take it back to the very, very beginning. So when you were young and you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I think about this all the time and how I think that's like the most ridiculous question for a kid. Like to be put on the spot like that and like no no child knows, right? And so we all make up things like, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a vet. Um, these like very contrived answers that like that are common across, you know, all different kids. And um so I yeah, I think back to that all the time. Like if I I don't think anybody who's an entrepreneur today said when they were a kid, like, oh, I'm gonna be an entrepreneur when I grow up. Um for one unless just, like maybe their parent was their or parents, something. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah. Yeah. And I did not have that growing up. You know, I didn't have like, um, you know, I, I had great role models as parents, but they definitely weren't entrepreneurs. Um, so I, yeah, I, I changed every time I was asked, right? Like I would just say something that sounded good, right? Like, oh, I, I like animals. So I'm being a veterinarian or, um, I was actually, um, home in Michigan a couple of weeks ago and I found some old, um, schoolwork that my mom had saved. And I found that exact, um, you know, question I had to write a response on. And it said, I think my response was, I want to be either a cheerleader or a teacher or a doctor because they are all fun and they all pay really well. <laughs> Great rationale. I love it. <laughs> That's funny. I think, I wonder like, you know, if that question will kind of go out of style or at least like just have a broader kind of scope to it, especially as kids, you know, start to, to learn more options. And the world has changed so much, right? Like everybody's suited to start a business these days, whether it's, you know, products business like mine, or just like, you know, a creator or somebody who just works for themselves making content. So it just, it just looks so different. And so, you know, there's some teachers that are probably, you know, hip on that and they understand the, the, the changes that we're up against, but there's, you know, certainly some old school teachers too, who are probably just, you know, thinking that there's this really, you know, direct career path for every kid and not always the case. Yeah. And I think it's actually, you know, platforms like TikTok that can highlight all the different career paths you can have and that it's not just maybe the few that are in your local community, you know, the police officer, the doctor, the teacher, a lawyer, which are all wonderful. But I think it's, it's the beauty of social media and technology that we can see that there's so much more and there's so much more nuance too, right? Like you yeah. don't just have to be an entrepreneur, but you can be a food entrepreneur, you know, kind of figuring out what you like, you know, you, you didn't know then, but if you look back now, were there any telltale signs? I find when I talk to entrepreneurs, they say, there was that one thing I did or, you know, looking back, it makes sense, but I didn't know it at the time. Were, are there any experiences you had where you look back and you think that way? Um, yeah, I had little, you know, entrepreneurial pursuits as a kid. You know, I had the lemonade stands. I, uh, my parents would hold garage sales and I would have my own little table there, you know, managing my own bank and negotiating deals on my toys and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I definitely had it in me. Um, but I think too, that like, even, you know, your job or your career in your twenties can look so different from what it is in your forties and your fifties. Like, I think life is just full of career transitions. And, um, so even when you think you have it figured out, you know, then something else comes up or like we find new passions or, you know, skill sets that we didn't know we had. 
Absolutely. So you grew up, then went to college at Michigan State. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like? And what did you major in and what made you decide that major? Yeah. Well, I was happy to be in college just because I'd grown up in this tiny little town. It was, you know, everybody knew everyone. So I just wanted some new experiences. I wanted to meet, you know, people who were just different from, you know, this tiny little place I'd grown up and try new foods and things like that. So that part of it was exciting for me. Um, in terms of the schooling, you know, I didn't know what to major in. I, I chose business because it, you know, it's sort of a practical thing. My brother had majored in business a few years before me. Um, and so I, I chose that and then I majored, or excuse me, I minored in uh, human resources, which also just sort of chose it. And I said, well, business is kind of boring, but human resources at least deals with people. And so let's go that route. Um, but it was hard because I didn't love it. And it was, you know, I'd be at parties and people would ask, what's your major? And I always hated that question because I just didn't really identify with it. Um, where I felt like, you know, a lot of people around me had it all figured out, which, you know, later probably changed anyway. Uh, but, you know, I got through it. I got decent grades in college, graduated with a degree, and then I got a job um, at a staffing company right after college. Um, so sort of started toying in the HR field and then worked for the MacArthur Foundation. I moved to Chicago right after I graduated and um, started working my way up the HR ladder. So it didn't take long to get a you know, decent job in the field, um, but that didn't last long, as you probably know from my story. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's so interesting too, that you decided to do human resources and that was because you liked people. Did you find that when you were at the MacArthur Foundation, you liked that kind of work? Yeah, it was, it was okay. I felt a little bit like a fraud because I, you know, people were coming in with these really cool jobs and then I had to like sit and go over their policies and procedures and their benefits. And it was like, you know, it was an important job. And I think, you know, there's people do you know great in that, that field. And if they like it and the, the more power to them. But I think for me, I was like, I want to be the on the other side of it. I want to be the person being hired for the cool job and have somebody else explain, you know, the, the benefits and, and policies and things to me. Absolutely. So your day to day was a lot of talking about policies and placing other people, and you were just excited to be on the other side of things and actually be placed yourself and, yeah. and work up the ladder. And then, what about the nonprofit space? Intrigued you? Was it just? a cool HR opportunity at the time, or were you intentional about choosing something in the nonprofit space? Yeah, it was, I was pretty intentional about it. I, you know, never was super drawn to like the corporate scene. And so that just felt a little more, I don't know, my style, I guess. And, um, you know, you make some sacrifices with that, you know, lower pay and stuff, but actually with the philanthropic organization, like, like a, a foundation, um, you have a lot of benefits that you, you might not see in the nonprofit world. So that it was a nice, nice fit for me and had some other draws to it too. Absolutely. And so you also moved to Chicago post-grad, right? Where you had your job. Mm -hmm. What was that decision like going from Michigan State to Chicago? Did you choose that community intentionally because you wanted to be around friends or it was just the job offer? I find, you know, one of the big decisions in your 20s is where am I going to live, right? How am I going to find community? Where are the job opportunities? So yeah. what was that decision like for you? Yeah, I, you know, I was just ready for, for something new. You know, I, as I said, I'd left the small town, but then, you know, being in Michigan State, I was still in Michigan. I felt like the world was just so big and I wanted to see more of it. Um, Chicago was the closest uh, big city to me. You know, it was only five five hour drive from my family. You know, so if I wanted to get home, I could. Um, yeah, it was great. I, Chicago's amazing. I lived there five years and it was just a, such, such an eye opening experience for me. And, um, you know, being able to really experience that, like, you know, the career life of like taking the train downtown and like being on a crowded subway and all that, like that was, that was fun. You know, it didn't, that it wasn't something I wanted to do forever, but I'm happy that I had the opportunity to experience it. Yeah. Your first big girl job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so then when you were at your job, I know you then decided to get a master's degree in sociology. Yeah. So what factored into that decision? 
um, it was sort of just part of this ongoing journey to, you know, find happiness in my work. I felt like I wasn't ready to quite settle into this career path. And I thought, well, if I get another degree, you know, that, that might help. And I was fortunate in that my employer helped pay for it. Uh, so I took advantage of that. Um, and you know, sociology is not, you know, the easiest to, to plug into, you know, career wise, but it, it, it was helpful. It was, you know, I think there's some skills there that I certainly took with me. Awesome. And what are those skills? What do you think that you gain the most from that? Because I think a lot of the work you've done, like your education has been all about learning about how people work and some of these broader topics that are so relevant as an entrepreneur, right? You have to understand customer needs and yeah. I'm sure there's a lot there. Yeah, totally. And just understanding groups and how they operate and you know, the consumer piece was, was huge for sure. That's amazing. Okay. So then what happened next? You get your master's degree in sociology, you're at the MacArthur Foundation. And then where did you, where did you go next? Oh, let's see, I did that for a couple of years and then it was time to get up and move again. So that's when I went cross country to Portland, still on my journey of, you know, self-discovery and finding happiness in my work. Um, then I made a promise to myself that when I moved there, I would give myself one year to, you know, figure out what it was I wanted to be doing. Cause I was, you know, I was getting up there in age. I was in the mid to late twenties. It was time to like, at least try to have some sort of, you know, goal I was working towards. Um, so I moved out to Portland and then, you know, followed through on that promise. I worked an HR job at Portland public schools for a year. And then I quit and I said, all right, I have a little bit of money saved up. I'm just, I'm quitting. I'm going to like put all my energy into, you know, soul searching, trying different hobbies. And that's when I really started getting my hands dirty and trying all sorts of different um, kind of side hustles and um, wanted to figure out, you know, what I was good at, not just, you know, what was fun, but did I have any talents I wasn't aware of? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What drew you to Portland specifically after Chicago? Was it the area? I know there's a lot of really wonderful creative people in Portland. Did that entice you or yeah. what didn't, What drew you there? Yeah, totally. I, I came out to visit and just fell in love with not, you know, the, the nature and all the opportunities for camping and hiking, but also just, yeah, the people. I mean, everybody in Portland was a maker, a creator, an entrepreneur of some sort. And I just thought that was really um, inspiring and be interesting to surround myself with those people. And yeah, it didn't take long before I thought, you know, I need to find my thing. Everybody here is like, you know, doing something cool and something they love. And that's when I started, um, taking different classes with different types of, um, industries. Right. So making personal care products was the one that really stuck with me though. And that was where I thought, all right, this is something that's fun for me. And it might not be a career, but it'll at least be, you know, something I can spend some time up. I love that. And it makes a lot of sense too. If you're surrounded by other people that are so passionate and excited, you're like, I want to figure my thing out. I want to know what I want to do. And I have all this time now I want to, I want to explore. So like you said, you started taking a lot of classes and you, you took one that sort of struck a chord with you, right? A mm-hmm. shampoo making class. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about what ignited in you and, and when you kind of decided that you wanted to take this from maybe just a class you were taking into a side hustle and eventually a, a big business? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was actually pregnant at the time too. Um, unexpectedly, right. I had, um, pretty, was in a pretty new relationship and found myself, um, with baby. And then that, you know, that changed a lot of things too, right. Like being more conscious with money and also the products I was using in my skin. And so I started to make a lot of my, my own products and that shampoo class was, was just perfect for me. And I realized, you know, not, not only out of need did I want to start making more products, but I also enjoyed it. And it was fun to mix different fragrances and just to, you know, be in the kitchen creating something that I could use. Um, and then in Portland, there's, you know, so much opportunity to get out in the community and sell farmer's markets and street festivals. And, you know, you just come set up your booth and, and sell. And I had just had my baby. And so I would bring him in a playpen and set up my deodorants and other products that I had at the time. And then that was how I met my first customers. 
That's incredible. How did you decide that you wanted to turn it from a class that you loved and you found interesting to making money off of it at a farmer's market? I think a lot of people maybe have passions or things Mm -hmm. that they love, but when do you decide that you want to turn that passion into actually a moneymaker for yourself? Yeah, I I think I realized it just from conversations with customers that people actually wanted the product. You know, the first few sales I made, it was just for fun. I didn't imagine, you know, making a you know, profit off of it or any way of, you know, supporting my, my, my living expenses or anything. But once you see somebody use your product and hear their excitement for it, you think, oh, maybe, maybe I'm onto something here. And there was this shared frustration around natural deodorants that didn't work well. And I thought maybe, you know, maybe I'm not the only one that that's experienced this. And clearly from, you know, the customers I talked to that it was a shared frustration. There's a big opportunity there. So, you know, I was, it wasn't one of those businesses that started with a whole bunch of industry research and, you know, trying to dig in and figure out what the opportunity is. It kind of just presented itself to me. And, you know, I was fortunate with the timing. This was 2010. So there weren't a ton of natural deodorants on the market. You know, you had your big ones like Tom's Maine and Jason. Um, so there was definite opportunity to come in with something new and something that you know looked different and smelled different. And um, so I went for it. That's incredible. And so you met your first few customers at the farmer's market. And was that what you did for a while, just talking and meeting and iterating on the product? And yeah. then when did you when did you take it to the next level? What was that next step that you realized, okay, maybe it was quitting your HR job or maybe it was, you know, someone coming in and wanting to place a big order. What was that moment that really made you think about it differently? Yeah, I had, you know, customers asking me where they could find the product in stores locally. And I thought, oh, maybe there's, you know, opportunity to partner up with some retailers here. And um, so I started um, just with some smaller food co-ops and some of the local natural stores. And, you know, again, it was still just kind of fun for me. I didn't quite understand, you know, the significance of, of the, you know, big opportunity in front of me. Um, but once I was on store shelves, you know, the product was selling really well and retailers were excited about it. And so then I thought, well, I'm just going to jump in, you know, go all in hundred percent and then see where this takes me. That's so exciting. And, and I'm sure that must've been a tough decision too, because at that time you already had your child. How did you make that tough decision? I think, you know, it's hard when you're in your twenties, you're still building your net worth. You're still building who you are. Did you go to certain people that really encouraged you? Did you read books or did you just trust your own instinct? What, what went into yeah. making that choice? I mean, at that point I had, you know, had made this promise to myself that I wasn't going to settle. So I, you know, when I was pregnant, I was, or excuse me, right after I had my baby, you know, a few months after I started a part-time job. So that, that helped sort of ease into, you know, moving away from this sort of full-time corporate thing. Um, but I, yeah, it was a huge risk and it was very scary and, you know, it, there's just so much, you know, emotion attached to it, especially as a new mom, you know, am I crazy? Like, is this not a good choice for my family? You know, but I was fortunate that my husband was there to support me, you know, emotionally. And then also financially, I mean, he was a social worker. So the money was, was, was definitely tight. Um, but I had, you know, at least somebody I could fall back on and, you know, somebody to say, keep going. (laughs) This is okay. Um, but yeah, it's hard. And I think, you know, the, the older we get and the longer we wait, it's, it's, it's harder. So I always encourage people, you know, to, if you're feeling the itch, go for it. There's no perfect time. There will never be, you know, the ultimate, you know, perfect circumstances to start a business. Yeah, absolutely. So now you've obviously grown Schmitz to be this worldwide brand, right? Which is absolutely incredible. And you had Unilever acquire you guys. What was that like? How did you make that decision to be acquired? Um, I'm sure that must've been a really surreal moment for you. And I'd love to hear more about that situation. Yeah, it was definitely surreal. You know, I never anticipated building a brand that would 
you know, catch anybody's interest to be acquired, um, let alone Unilever, you know, the, one of the biggest. Um, but it was, it was time, you know, we were at a point, we, I hadn't raised any capital through growing the business. Um, so seven years in, you know, it was, it was time. We were starting to sell in big chains like Target, you know, Walmart and Costco, and the money was just tight. It was all tied up on store shelves, right? We were selling in so many places, but you don't get paid until the product sells and you wait, you know, 90 days for your checks and just, so we had to find funding, you know, somehow, some way. Um, and then also it would, the landscape was becoming increasingly competitive. There were a lot of new brands coming up and, um, you know, new deodorants doing things um, in, in interesting ways that it was certainly a threat to us. And then also, you know, with this type of opportunity is generally a take it or leave it situation, right? Like you, they don't want to wait. <laughs> you know, if somebody wants to acquire you, they generally want it to happen now. And if you say no, then they move on to the next brand. Um, so it was just, you know, everything kind of came together and, it, you know, I knew it was a good choice for my company because I had built it as far as I could, you know, I had very limited knowledge starting up, starting out and, you know, was able to figure it out along the way. But once you get to that big of a company scale, it's just, it's nice to have the support of, um, you know, a big, a big company that has people that, you know, have, have been through it and they know what they're doing. Absolutely. And, and what's your involvement now? How, how close are you involved with what's going on? And, and are you liking that work still? Yeah, definitely. I'm still working with the brand. You know, it's really one of my most important parts of what I do today is just staying connected to them, helping them grow and scale internationally. Um, You know, I'm really happy with the leadership of the brand right now. And um, there's some exciting developments coming. You know, they really, they love the founding story of Schmitz and are going to, you know, have plans to put more emphasis on that and just really see it as uh, a competitive advantage for for the business. You know, there's not a lot of brands today that have those the interesting sort of, you know, humble root stories anymore. So we're going to kind of build on that storytelling and just continue to expand. That's so exciting. I can't wait. So I, I think when I think about like this next phase, right after this acquisition, I see that a lot of the work you're doing is giving back. And mm-hmm. that's super exciting for an entrepreneur like me, who's just trying to figure it out and learning from stories like yours. And, you know, you started Color, which we'll get into. You wrote Supermaker. You know, I know you have this new show going public. So you're doing all these things to spread. I mean, even your TikTok, right? Spreading the information of entrepreneurship. So I'd love to hear more about what made you decide to enter this next phase of giving back. And it's really wonderful. Yeah, thanks. You know, and it wasn't something that I had put a lot of planning into until, I sold the business and then I realized, you know, there was so much that I learned and I had a lot to offer other entrepreneurs and it was exciting to me. And it's, you know, I've been through it. I know what people are up against. And I, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, I just want everyone to understand that, you know, entrepreneurship is within reach. Um, we can all do it and having just the extra support, you know, and inspiration from stories like mine, I think is just super helpful. Absolutely. So your book, Supermaker, I'll just start with that one. Mm-hmm. Crafting your business on your own terms. What made you decide to write a book? I know you said you obviously want to give back and you want to share, mm-hmm. but there's so many ways to do that, right? What What about the book were you most excited about and why did you decide to do it in that format? I thought it'd be a great way to reach a lot of people. You know, I had a ton of emails and phone calls and, you know, people looking for support on very specific um, aspects of their business. And this was just one way for me to put out a lot of information to reach a lot of people. Um, and also, you know, as I started writing it, I realized, um, it was just a really cool story. And so there's this part memoir, you know, which, which keeps the book interesting, but then there's a lot of, um, you know, tips and lessons, uh, built within the book. I always, you know, I'm always careful not to, you know, say this is the way, you know, I, I I'm anti playbook, right. I don't think that, um, brands or businesses should follow like a, 
exact, you know, copy of how somebody else built their business. But my goal is to help people learn through, you know, my storytelling. Like this is, and that's, what's fun about writing the book was that I, it's not one of those business books that tells you what to do. It actually just shows, you know, what I went through and then you can kind of make your own assumptions there about what, you know, what you should do to either avoid those mistakes or to, you know, sort of replicate some of those successes. That's the best way to go about it. Cause like you said, every person is so unique. Every business is so unique, mm-hmm. but to have that roadmap is just so, so helpful. So I'm sure there's a lot of gems in that book, but I want to tease out the one thing. If you could say to every 20 something, one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, it would be don't settle right. In every aspect of our lives, like relationships, um, where we're living, you know, what kind of work we're doing. And just, if something feels off, then figure out why and, and, and fix it. You know, life's too short to sort of compromise and get by with something that we're not hundred percent happy with. I love that advice. And are there those cues for you that make you say, Oh wait, this doesn't feel right. Or I don't think that I'm living my best life and then get into action. What are those for you? Well, when I was younger, I had like, I kept an actual notebook of like these little categories of my life. It was like money, friends, love, like, (laughs) and I would sort of rate like how things were going and do a little introspection of like, you know, what do I need to change anything? And like, what, you know, what's working, what's not, you know, I'm not that literal today. It's more just paying attention to my emotions and, you know, what brings me joy and what, what's causing me stress. And, um, so, you know, it's important to check in with yourself. Sometimes we get so busy that we just sort of take our lives for granted and don't realize that, you know, we can pause and reflect on, on them and, you know, make changes accordingly. Absolutely. I love it. Do you, do you feel like you check in with yourself daily, monthly, quarterly, annually? What's your system? I probably don't have a real rigid system. I think it's sort of an ongoing thing. Like you'll notice, like if, if you you start to feel off, right? If you're just getting extra cranky or just feeling, you know, more anxiety or whatever it might be, then that's, I think those are the triggers to say, Hey, let's step back for a second and figure this out. Love that. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. I loved hearing your story and hearing more about your twenties and then how at the end of it, you built this empire. And now you're in this phase where you're giving back and doing lots of wonderful work and I really do appreciate it. So now it's time for the Q and a portion of our show. As a reminder, we'll take a few questions from the audience. So Ariel will bring you up. Yeah, hi. Um, in fact, it's kind of interesting. What I'm trying to do as an entrepreneur is actually like have shows and eventually I want to monetize them. But I, I just want to ask you, Jamie, like how long did it take you to see your first uh, a bit of money from an entrepreneurial endeavor? Because first you have to get people to know about you. So what's the best way you got people to know about you to trust you with like a credit card or handing you some dollars or writing you a check and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I remember the first couple sales I made, I felt like I wasn't like worthy of taking people's money. <laughs> like I just didn't feel right. Like, oh my gosh, you're buying something that I made. Um, yeah, you know, it's, I also, I talk a lot about like slow growth in the beginning and not looking for an overnight success, right? It's just not going to happen. Um, so I, my story, you know, it, it, I had a slow start. It took me a few years, but it was also because I wasn't quite ready to jump in hundred percent, right? I wanted to make sure I was on stable footing. I kept a side job for a little while. I also wanted to go slowly to make sure that, you know, I liked what I was doing and that what I was building made sense and, you know, sort of tweaking my vision as I went along the first couple of years. Um, so I always encourage people don't jump in, you know, maybe, or when I say don't jump in, don't, don't, you know, hundred percent give up everything else in your life, maybe sort of ease in and, um, go a little bit more slowly. 
Um, and then in terms of gaining trust, you know, that that's hard and getting those early customers to share testimonials and feedback, you know, always encourage people who are your early customers to, to tell you, you know, how they liked their experience or their product and to share. Um, and if you have social media pages, you know, share there, always, always gather, you know, feedback from your customers and the positive stuff you want to, you want to blast out to the world to let people know, you know, people are happy with what, what you're doing. Good luck. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks, Ariel. Great question. Alex, come on up. Hi, my name's Alex. Um, I heard you mention earlier your fun color. I'd love to know a little bit more about it. Yeah, so that's a fund I started with my husband. You know, the two of us had grown the business together and then later um, decided that we, you know, we wanted to start a fund, you know, through the experience we had gained operating the business, there was just a lot of knowledge we were able to bring to other companies. And then, of course, you know, the financial piece. Um, so it's called Color. If anybody's building a, a consumer brand, you know, check us out. It's color.capital. We invest mostly in seed and Series A. Uh, we'll write checks generally between you know, 50 and 250,000, depending you know, on your needs and where we're at. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's out there if anybody's interested in learning more. Thanks, Jamie. What's been the most exciting part about starting a fund? I can imagine, I mean, the way that I envision it is that you get to chat with a lot of amazing entrepreneurs all day, every day. So it sounds like a great gig, but yeah. what made you decide that you wanted to do it? Yeah. I mean, that is like partly just staying relevant is one of the coolest parts because I'm constantly on top of like what's trending and you know what everybody's doing in the different industries. And that was really exciting to me. And, you know, again, it all goes back to this um, mission to, to help other entrepreneurs and it's, it's hard to get funding. Right. And, you know, especially women or underrepresented founders who just have to work, you know, even harder. And so that's always been at the forefront of our fund too, is to really try to find some of these overlooked opportunities and make sure they're getting, you know, fair, fair chance as well. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we have one speaker request from Danielle. Let me bring her up. Hi, thanks for having me. I was wondering what your most favorite and your least favorite parts were about your 20s. Ooh, they all start the least favorite. I think, you know, in my 20s, I still, like, wasn't 100% confident in, like, who I was or just comfortable in my skin, right? I'm like, who's Jamie Schmidt? And it just, it takes so long. It's still, like, a lifelong effort, right? Like, I still am working on things and, you know, I'll always be in evolution. But I think that's, like, getting through that, I think, is, is the hardest. You know, we come out of high school with these you know, ideas of, of who we're supposed to be. And, you know, it just, it's confusing and challenging and then the, throw the career piece into it. And it just adds all these extra stresses. The best part, um, I didn't overthink things as much. And I feel like now that I'm older, I'm like more paranoid and like, <laughs> especially as like a parent and, you know, business owner, there's just so much stress that, that I carry. And I think, you know, back in the twenties, it's just, you don't, you don't overthink things as much and you're a lot more carefree. And then you aren't always thinking about like, you know, midlife or end of life, you're, you're still young and <laughs> that gets a little harder as we go along. I think. That's such a great point, Jamie. It's, there's pros and cons to it. Like you don't think that much, which can be awesome because you can jump into things, but also sometimes you need to think a little bit. So <laughs> there's pros yeah. and cons to it too. I do have one more question for you, Jamie, actually. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more about going public. And I know that that's something that's coming out sometime soon, but I'd love to just hear about your involvement and why you decided to take on that opportunity. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I was invited to be a mentor on this new show 
Um, it's called Going Public and it's going to stream on entrepreneur media later this summer. Um, and so, as I mentioned, you know, my role is, is a mentor. And so I'll be helping um, five other founders as they raise capital. And so the point of the show is to, you know, show the, the fundraising process for for these founders and then investors at home can actually invest through an app. Um, and you don't have to be an accredited investor uh, to do so. It's all through this um, regulation called Regulation A+, which I'll save the technicalities there, but um, it's really cool. So viewers can invest if it's a company they're excited about. And then my role there is just to help these founders sort of, you know, continue to build their businesses and um, and do the fundraising process. And as they talk to other investors, um, in addition to the investors at home. Goingpublic.com is a website. You should check it out. It's going to be, as I mentioned, streamed later this summer. And I have, I have big hopes for it. I think this is season one, and I think it's probably going to end up um, getting pretty big. I love it. I love the audience participation piece. It's, yeah. it's part of why I love Fireside. You know that people can feel like they can be part of and in on the conversation when maybe they otherwise would just be watching it on TV. Like Shark Tank's awesome, but I want to not just buy the product, but maybe invest in it if right. I can. So yeah. I, I think that's a really cool thing. And it also sounds like you're the perfect role for that because you not only you know built a business, but you also now invest. So um, yeah. you see both sides to that, which is wonderful. Great. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for, for hopping on with me. I'd love if you could, I know you shared going public, but if you could let everyone know where they can follow you and find all your exciting businesses and projects. Yeah. The best place um, is probably through social media, like Twitter and Instagram. Uh, it's just Jamie Schmidt. My name is spelled J-A-I-M-E, uh, which is a little different. So make sure you're spelling that right. Um, I also have a website, jamieschmidt.info. Perfect. Maybe they should follow you on TikTok too. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, again, for taking the time. I learned so much and I'm sure our listeners did as well. If you enjoyed this conversation, please give us a follow over at Dear20something on Instagram and subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you get our podcasts. Thank you so much, Erica. That was fun.